Michelle Kimschmidt, Executive Editor of Pharmacopoeia here. Welcome to a special edition of our podcast series. After a one-year hiatus and back by request, we're revisiting the highly popular series, How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs, to introduce you to the story of the family-owned manufacturer, Klaas. A global combine and forage equipment manufacturer based in Germany, Klaas says it's coming into the American market in a big way with its tractor to, as they've said, double their business here within just a few years. Today's recording is with Katrina Klaas Mühlhauser, a voice that perhaps few have heard from to date on this continent. She's only the third person to serve as the top executive of the company in its 100 plus years history, preceded by her late grandfather and founder, August Klaas, and father, Helmut Klaas. I sat down with Katrina last year when we talked about prior attempts to entering the U.S. and how important the tractor will be to their eventual growth here as they look for dealer distribution that can earn most of its revenue from their new sea green colors. Class is not on the New York Stock Exchange, Katrina says, so she can afford to take a look 10 years into the future, saying, quote, it will take as long as it takes. Katrina's accepted the torch as the face of the company from her 93-year-old father, Helmut, who is still seen at the Hartsfinkel, Germany headquarters, such as when Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts and his trade delegation visited in mid-November 2019. During that same week in Germany, editor-publisher Mike Lesseter sat face-to-face with Katrina during a private meeting at Agritechnica before rejoining dealers and farmers touring the company's German and French manufacturing plants. He said the only way was forward, so we had to get out of Europe, we had to be even more innovative, so get the best products out there and just beat them to it, otherwise we won't be one of the survivors. And then it got better after a while, like mid-90s we launched the Baxter in 1995. That's Katrina talking about the drivers behind her father Helmut and his insistence on innovation and extending beyond the home base in Europe. I wanted to thank our sponsor HBS Systems, a multi-generational company who for more than 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks to HBS for their support, including the variation in the format for this week's podcast. My grandfather, August, he founded the company in 1913, a farmer's son. My great-grandfather had also started with some farming equipment, which was especially straw binders. But he was mainly farmer, not so much heading towards uh, industrial business, really. But August class was, and he took his three brothers in. And it was a miracle they all returned from the Great War in 1918 then and then developed the business further. His first innovation was a knotter for the straw binder, which was patented in 1921. And I mean, it was after the Great War, there weren't a lot of resources, there were no banks which would give him a credit or something. So developing the business was quite a challenge also financially. So what he did was he licensed that technology out to be able to finance the growing business and at the same time started the development of the first European combine harvester. And people thought he was crazy. They said, hey, we don't need that. What do you need that for? It's not necessary. But they didn't see how many people would leave their positions in agriculture to work for all types of different industries, but not in ag anymore. So he had less people, he had the same hard work to be done, he needed the mechanization, and that's what he saw pretty early on. So in 1936, he launched that first combine, which, which has the very complicated name, Medrisch Binder. <laughs> I don't know if you could pronounce that. It was, still, it was still pulled, but it was a great success. 
and everything else went from there. In the 60s, we went into forage harvest and bought two companies actually in forage harvesting, which brought about our mower cheddar sweater business and also the self-propelled forage harvester, the Jaguar. We built a factory in France in the 50s for balers. I mean, that's a technology derived from the straw binder, obviously, so it was something that we did before. And of course, the combine was the main business. In 2003, we bought Renault Agriculture in France and started our tractor activities, let's say more or less in parallel with the development of the Xerion. And all this together now gives us a good product portfolio to be competitive out there for any dealer interested. And I think the story is a good one. My grandfather died in 1981. My father actually took over in 1968, really. I was born in 1975 and yeah, I cannot even really say, I mean, I entered the business and I was in the shareholders committee since 2001, now work for class full time since 2004. In your own words, capsulate the history in the United States, which I know involved Ford and Massey before, you know, long before the class name was over there. Have you kind of retraced that? Yeah, I'm not too firm with all the steps that were before my time, to be honest, because mm -hmm. I wasn't there. I know that we did all that, and I know we painted the comments in all kinds of different colors. And there were so many attempts to actually go to America, and it was always very difficult. I think I can then start maybe when it really started, when mm -hmm. we did the joint venture with Caterpillar, because I think that is when the story really starts. In 1952, Klaus exported the first super type combine to a Swiss immigrant in Canada in that case, so to North America. That was probably the very first one that was exported to the North American continent. And in 1979, we formed Class of America. And Class of America is not only connected to the combine, it's connected to the forage harvest and the forage harvester, especially. So we made that a big success and we're still to this day, a market leader with self-propelled forage harvesters in North America. And I think that's worth a note. In 1997, we formed a joint venture with Caterpillar, and that's why the combines used to be yellow until today. And originally, they were also only branded cat and not branded class at all, which only changed after, unfortunately, this joint venture ended in 2002. Very sadly, I have to say, but what happened? So we continued with the branding part, but slowly changed it to Lexion and Class because of course it was our product and Caterpillar let us use their dealer network as far as the dealer wanted to, to sell our product. And that was our, let's say, big entree with the Lexion in North America, which is a success story. We built a factory together in Omaha Caterpillar and Class, which we then bought when they walked out. And this was then in 2003, our new headquarter for North America, which was up to then in Columbus, Indiana, where we still have a spare parts center. And since then we have enlarged the factory. We're now producing something like four or 500 combines a year and have secured quite a nice market share in the upper segment of the combine market. So far, we haven't got the small and medium combines on offer, but might change <laughs> at some point as we go along enriching our product portfolio. So as I said before, now we changed the color to green with the introduction of the new Lexion in 2019. We introduced tractors 
and the Xerion, which has been there since five years now. And of course, Jaguar is part of the product portfolio, very important, as I said, market leader. And also for harvesting equipment, which we want to push. So I think we have quite a nice little product portfolio for our dealers at offer and want to push that. And I think great plans are justified. So that's the story. But North America is a quite challenging market, of course. It is different from Europe. Customers are different, crops are different, but we want to listen and to improve. So someone said, tell me about home class. Could you describe his personality, the way he runs the business? My father's a farmer. He is not only at heart, he is a farmer. <laughs> I am a farmer, we own a farm, we always had a farm. And he thinks farming, not industry. I mean, he sort of translates farming into machine solution. I think that best describes him. And he always wants it done optimally, not just sort of, but the best way possible. And he's very persistent in that. And I think there's no difference between us in that case. We can identify how farmers think, that profile. When it came to running the business, how would you describe this management style? I don't want to say management by walking around, but almost. He would talk to as many people as possible. And that's something he taught me as well. He said the best basis for a decision is to get your own picture. And you don't get it by only talking to one person. And also maybe benchmark outside the company, benchmark outside the industry, get fresh ideas in from elsewhere and say, hey, that's a good idea. Why don't we try this? And also that's another thing, try things, which gets more difficult <laughs> because trying things back then was a lot less expensive than today. So what we try today is to do the trials in the virtual world, not in steel and iron which is a lot less risky and a lot less expensive, but still effective. And if we see a proof of concept, then we can go out and prove it out there. But sometimes you have to try, otherwise you don't know. Dad was never a very dictatorial person. He was on the opposite. He always tried to set up the company in a very decentralized way. But within these little units, you would have quite a hierarchy back then. It was just the way it was. And I think today we're trying to have more cross-functional teams to find different ways of working together. I mean, digital change helps there as well. And I always try to use these trends to work for us instead of fighting against them. And people enjoy that. They have a sense of greater impact and I think that's also something that, as I said, creates a lot of ideas and good products. Right. Getting around and talking to people, that's a story I heard about you at the Farm Progress Show. This summer, spent time, a couple hours getting to each table and talking to farmers about their company. Well, if you don't listen, you don't know. We like to hire people from agricultural backgrounds, preferred, because they have a different way of thinking. As I said, it's like my dad. What I'm trying to do too is to think farming. And sometimes the solution might look different than if you just think, oh, how could I build a machine for this? Sometimes it's a service. Sometimes it's a change in process. It might be many things, especially now. I mean, when we're seeing all this digital change, you can find solutions that before weren't possible and can benefit customers. But that's a different subject. I didn't want to elaborate because that would take too long. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the data connect and the, what you're driving towards 
there, and I understand that was a project that you personally... Yeah, that's something my father taught me, always to think in open systems, because you cannot hold your customer hostage. And nowadays, in the digital world, you need standards. So that was our objective, to get a standard between, let's say, as many companies as we can get to join. And now it's, there's three of us. It's us plus John Deere plus Case New Holland, who's just joined. And that's a standard that's not only limited to Europe, it's worldwide. So we think that we have very good products and services to offer, also farm management. And we have to give our customers a choice. And we have to make sure that the choice is class. But we cannot prevent anybody from going to the competition by making a closed system. That's what I strongly believe. And I'm very, very happy that this worked out. So we're still competitors, but we compete in a different field. So tell us about your path personally into the company. From your grandfather, founded it, your father. How did you end up at Klaus? Well, my father didn't have a lot of choice. I'm the only daughter, so he left me pretty much alone until I graduated from high school and then went to university. And he actually wanted me to study law because he always felt that the understanding of contracts and the whole legal situation plays a big role to make sure you don't get into trouble. And he knew that, I mean, I was pretty good in mathematics, but not in physics. So he thought that I'd probably not study engineering. And then I said, no, I don't think law is my thing. So I did finance and capital markets. So I thought numbers also play a role. I mean, you could do anything. You could do agriculture, you could do finance, you could do law, you could do engineering. Everything helps. And in the end, all is needed in the company, so it didn't really matter. And the age difference played a role because he's almost 50 years older than me. And I said, please just let me finish university. And then after I've worked a couple of years, I can tell you. So he left me alone again and just let me do my thing. After school, I first did an apprenticeship, actually, which is a pretty common thing in Germany to work for two or three years before going to university to know what it's like to be out there. And then when you go and study, I think it gives you a good perspective on what you could do afterwards, plus what working life is like. I think the approach at uni is a different one. For me, at least it was. And after uni, that was four years of university. And then I went to work for a company called ABB, quite a big one. They're a big energy technology supplier. And I did a trainee program and then ended up working in their marketing and product management for a, a time. And then dad called me and said, look, I'm turning 78. I'm still fit. He still was very fit. But he said, people are getting nervous. <laughs> they really want to know what's going to happen in the future. So it would be good if you could make up your mind at some point. And I had. I mean, why had I chosen an industrial company instead of a bank or a consultancy or anything else? Because I was sort of preparing to come home. Yeah, it's just with that age, he wanted me to follow him into the shareholders committee and not into management itself. So I didn't really sort of go through the ranks at home. But people really helped me when I had to ask a lot of questions. So the people who would later come to me with me making decisions, which affects their lives, had to explain to me the business that we're in, because they did. 
It was such a great trust. It was wonderful to see. Everybody came and tried to explain this, help me there, just to help me get to the best decision and really cared about this company. And that opens your heart to these people. I mean, family company or not, you don't know them before you actually work there, really. I mean, I've grown up next to the company, but people change and it's not your generation, so it's a different thing. And I really enjoyed it. And I traveled everywhere to all factories, all sales companies. And it took me a couple of years and visited the most important markets to be able to take decisions. Because if you don't know where your strategic focus is, you can't really succeed. What year was that that you joined the chair board? 15 years ago? Yeah, 2004, in October, officially. I was actually part of the shareholders committee since 2001, but I was still working then. I didn't. And then I quit my job and because this is a full-time job. This is not something that you can do in parallel to anything else. What have you been most proudest of that you oversaw, that you contributed in the last 15 years since coming back? HR is, to me, one of the most, if not the most important thing. Because you need to have the right people in the right place and people you can trust. And it has a lot to do with company culture. Let's say a year into me joining class, I had the task of reorganizing the group. We changed from a functional organization into a business unit oriented organization. And that was basically my project together with our head of HR. And that taught me a lot. And we kept this organization to this day. And now last year was the last big step. We develop it further. So we changed it around in the biggest business unit grain, basically where the combines are made. We started with the metrics organization because I think you have to look at the product and you still have to make sure that you get your synergies right. So you cannot choose between these two forms of organization. And I think that plus selecting the right people as managers is something that worked out good and I'm happy with that. And it's people who are committed to the company, who love this company, who perceive themselves as being part of the family. I mean, they have to be competent, of course, in their respective field of activity, but I think it's also how you motivate yourself, and that plays a big role, because we're not smarter than anybody else in reality, but I think you become more creative if you're happy and if you like the company you work for. We'll get back to Katrina and Mike in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Let's get back to the program with Katrina talking about her path to leadership within the company and her goals for classes growth in the North American market. In your father's training up of you, did he share any of those stories about the hardest days and how they got through them that he wanted to pass on to you to make sure that you knew about? Yeah, I suppose the 80s were quite difficult for all combine producers. And most of the ones that still exist at end of the 70s weren't there end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. There was a big consolidation going on. Numbers dropped, machines got bigger, so you had less combines go through the factory. 
It was connected to having less people, making people redundant, to be honest. I mean, that's what happened. It was quite tough. It was a big competition for right-sizing, you would say, today. And I think that was what made him as tough as he still is to this day when it comes to production cost and to simplifying things, as I said before, with the modularization, is that the right word? Which was always an objective of his because he said, there's no other way we will control this complexity if we don't go down that road. And he said that at a very early stage. Just back then, we didn't have, let's say, the tools to make it happen the way we make it happen today because there was no digital way of looking at, for example, to reuse as many parts as possible from before. You couldn't control that. You were still drawing. So it was different times, but it was his way of thinking always has been. Yeah. And I think also to survive in this consolidation phase, not only because of the economical effects this decade had, but also the pressure of globalization starting. We had to get out of Europe. He knew that if we stayed there, the others would come to Europe and sort of increase competition there. So we had to go out and we went and built a factory in India. Those were the years when we first talked to Caterpillar. He had a friend there who also got us the idea of the tracks when we were in the development phase of the Lexion, which started end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, the first ideas and the first pre-development phase. And he said the only way was forward. So we had to get out of Europe. We had to be even more innovative. So get the best products out there and just beat them to it. Otherwise, we won't be one of the survivors. And then it got better after a while, like mid 90s, we launched the Lexion in 1995. And then there was a more calm period in the industry. Let's see, you walked into this position without the benefit of having your father there and having told you about the principles of grandfather and his father, what would have been some things that you might not have been exposed to? Yeah, I'm just thinking. Keep an open mind is maybe what describes it the best. Dad's always challenging people to this day to think from a different angle and to look for other solutions and to think in scenarios, right, rather than jumping to conclusions. And it sounds so simple, but it's not because most people sort of walk into a problem and they think they got the solution and they're so glad that they got the solution, they stop thinking. And that's what shouldn't be happening. And dad's very persistent. He can get on your nerves with this, but it's really good. And I think it leads to the optimal solution possible. And sometimes it takes you a little longer, but it's better. And I suppose that's the main takeaway from working with my dad. Your objectives and goals for the United States market, big change this year with the coloring, branding, heard about big plans to double the business there within five years. Could you talk about the United States market specifically and what you hope to do? Yeah, we took three enormous steps forward this year. Step one is the new combine, which is the biggest innovation in class in the last 25 years. I think I can say that. The second step, equally important, is the greening. Be brighter, as Eric would say it because coming from the historical situation of a joint venture with Caterpillar, we, our combines were still yellow, and now they're green. And I think it was important to, to go this step to make sure that 
our brand is the differentiator it really is. I mean, we perceive ourselves as being a technological leader in grain harvest, and we want to show it. The seed green is something that my grandfather defined back in the 60s and said, this is a fresh color. It reflects growth. It reflects fresh starts. And I like the color very much. And the third very important thing is that we introduce tractors. The tractor is the anchor product for dealers. So if we want to go down that road, I think we have to develop our own dealers and we have to enrich them with more products. The tractor is a very, very big thing. And yeah, I think we can much better help our distribution partners build their business, which is the basis to get the best service and products to our customers. And I th see a good chance once we can build on more exclusive dealer network than we have today. Had that realization that the tractor was going to be the anchor, um, had that been recognized 25 years ago when you first started getting involved in the tractor in a bigger way? Well, I mean, we bought Renault Agriculture in 2003, which is only 16 years ago. But my father had started the Xerion development in the 80s. His thinking back then was a different one. He thought that standard tractor can't do everything it should be doing. So he thought either it will be on tracks, which we see today, but back then he wasn't into tracks yet. So he thought four wheels the same size would also get the job done better. And I think he was right. It was just, that took us quite a while to get that product out. And I think it's very successful now. And it's uh, a good basis to understand the business that we bought, the tractor. And I think now we can say that we have, we're quite innovative on the tractor side as well, even though it wasn't, let's say, part of the original business. And when I look out there now on the fair, I see the, the Terra tractor, our half-track tractor. I see our Siemens for tractors, which is the optimization system for different tractor applications. So I think these things are USPs to us at the moment. Others might follow, but we can show that we really have a tractor expertise now. And we have to show that also in America with hopefully new dealers that will pick up on this product. Is that going about how you expected it to thus far? Are you on track with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it takes a while. I mean, every world region is different. Regulation is different. Customers are different. Crops are different. Soil is different. So you really have to listen. That's why I think it's so important to talk to people. And I mean, you always have to be careful there as well, because our CTO five years ago, he always said, if you talk to five customers and then come back home and think you know how it's done, you're wrong. So you have to talk to a more than that <laughs> but you have to talk and you really have to go out there and have a look yourself otherwise you miss really really important things we still are working on a couple of features that we will need to make it perfect but i think we have a good start and we can probably say that they're good products also for america tell me about the combine you said the biggest technological leap in the last 25 years explain what why it's the most innovative yeah, it might look the same from the outside, but inside it's pretty different. I mean, basically what we said, we need to leap forward in performance and productivity. When we started the project eight, nine years ago, we said 
25% must be possible. And not only on the rotor side, but also on the hybrid side, but also on the straw walker side. And I think we succeeded in that. And we also did a record with the straw walker with 44 tons an hour. We needed to do something. So that was one of the most important things. What is also important is in this machine, we have integrated our new modularity principle. We took the different combine models and we thought about a certain structure so that we could standardize certain components in their length and width and their positioning and so on. So it was very important to not only to get the best performance out of the machine, but also get the best cost situation there for components. And I think that worked really well for the Lexion and it will continue with every model that we will launch in the next couple of years. And I think quality will improve a lot still. I mean, we're good now, but I think we will be even more reliable and it it will help for us to simplify everything from service to also the setup and production plans and so on. So it helped not only in the performance out there in the field, but also as being competitive in price and in repairability. Repairability, accessibility, all these things also play a big role. What were your first memories of the company as a child? Well, my parents, now my dad, lives next to the factory in Hasewinkel. So the machines that weren't delivered yet were parked behind our house. So it was my private playground. All my friends thought it was really cool. (laughs) And I think that's probably the earliest memory because I could climb over under and had them there every day. I was on the combine on our farm every summer. Still without a cabin, it was quite dusty. I remember that really well. Of course, dad had all sorts of visitors all the time. So all the names of the people, the managers that we had back then, even though they're not there yet anymore, I would still remember. I know the faces and I know some of the stories, even though I was still very young. Living that close to the factory, personal and business life are kind of meshed together. Yeah, that's like a farmer. You cannot really distinguish between what's work and what's your private life. You sort of combine the two, still that way. I mean, here on the show, I had my kids here Sunday, and it was great fun to go around with them. I have to be here anyway, but then I take them along. Where's the fun? Is it fun? Or is it work? Or is it your private life? I don't know. Three children. How old are they? They're five, seven, and nine. You were a leader in, as far as I know, is the female leading the biggest egg machinery company. Is that so? I don't know. No, I never thought about that. No, I didn't like to talk about this female woman issue because I always think it shouldn't matter. I know that there's a lot of women disagreeing with me, but in my world, it never played a role. Maybe because I didn't have to go through the ranks in my own company, but I try not to make it an issue and promote everybody who wants to be promoted. Mm -hmm. What I'm working for, when I discuss it with other women, I always say, you have to want it. I need people who want to progress in their careers. That's where it starts. If you want to progress, you will. I'm totally sure of that. And we try to promote women when we can, but they have to want this. And it's not easy and not many want. That's the problem. In our industry, there are not a lot who actually find it, let's say, so attractive to want to make a career. I hope there's more in the future. In my kids' generation, I feel that it matters a lot less. Is it well known in North America of the size and scope that Klaus brings 
I think it's almost $5 billion US. Is that well known, do you think? I don't think so, no. It's sadly not. But sometimes people react a bit surprised when I say I consider ourselves the technological leader in harvesting, grain harvest, and also forage harvest. Yeah, I think the market penetration is the issue. So you need to have visible products out there for people to recognize that. The color was very important, the color change of the Lexion. Because if you drive around in Caterpillar yellow, which is a wonderful color, but I like ours better, <laughs> you're not as visible as you could be. And it is the main product next to the Jaguar, of course, or Forage Harvester. So if you look out there on the fields, you won't find green machines up to now. And now we're changing that to make us visible. Now you will see tractors drive around in seed green, which makes us visible. Now maybe the forager, well, class has a traditional innovation. So we want to be technological leaders in our products. We don't want to do everything. So we're focused on the harvesting and the tractors. That's our business, that's what we're good at, and that's what we want to be good at. And we have a focus on the big professional farmers. We offer professional products for that customer segment. But I hope that this recognition and this yeah, visibility will increase in the short term a lot by that change. And we need good dealers to help us make that happen. Thanks so much to Katrina Klaus-Muehlhauser for taking the time to sit down and share the Klaus story with us, and another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. Also, a thank you to the Klaus team for coordinating both my and Mike's interviews. We're happy to share that Klaus North America is returning as a title sponsor of the Dealership Mind Summit this summer in Omaha. For more information on this unique dealer-to-dealer -dealer event on profit-turning trades, go to www.dealershipmindsummit.com.